Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the New Media Show. My name is Todd Cochran. Of course, uh, this is our weekly jaunt into uh, new media. And, hey, this week a little different. We've, we've got a guest, but uh, before we introduce our guest, good morning, Rob. How are you? Doing great, Todd. It's great to be back on the show here. We're going to do a little bit of a different uh, topic this week. Instead of always talking about podcasting, we're going to spend a little time talking about video. So it's exciting. We've got a great guest. Yeah, we do. So, whoop. Wrong screen. I'm I'm all thumbs here. So without further ado, we want to welcome Jim Lauterbeck. Good morning, Jim, CEO of good, VidCon. Good morning, guys. It's great to be here with you. Yeah, glad to have you on. And you, I think you've been on the show. You were on the show once before, weren't you? I'm yeah, pretty I sure so. I was. Yeah, I think I've done it back in the dim dark recesses of the past. Yeah. So it's been it's been quite a while, but. Uh, you know, as as we were talking just before we uh, started the show, you know, I, I, I see you everywhere. You're just, you're on conferences, you're, you know, you're, you're all over the place. And of course, you made a big change early in the year. So if, I guess for the for the first part, for the folks that don't have any idea what VidCon is, even is, maybe give a little 411 on that and then catch us up on what you've been up to. Sure. Yeah. VidCon is the world's biggest online video conference. So um, it happens every year in Anaheim, California and around June. And it's actually three conferences rolled into one. It's a big, what we call the community track fan fest, where people uh, come together who uh, their favorite online video stars are there, whether it's Facebook or Snapchat, YouTube, Instagram, Musical.ly, whatever, they all show up. Uh, and their fans show up, and those communities, they get together and celebrate the love that they have for those creators, for the content, and for each other. Uh, we also have a large track that's focused to people who want to become the next big online video star. So that's our creator track. And that is, you know, it's interesting. Um, I want to know, when you were growing up, when I was growing up, uh, we all wanted to be you know, actors or spacemen or, you know, or, or doctors or lawyers or dentists. The number one thing that uh, 10 to 20 year olds want to be right now as a vlogger and a YouTuber. So we allow people to develop those skills. And then we have an industry track, which is all about how do you make money on all this stuff. So that's VidCon. Um, we just launched this year uh, in Australia and Europe. That went really well. We're going back in 2018. And for me personally, I uh, I ran an online video company called Revision 3 and I've done a ton, ton of stuff in the, before that. Um, but as we were running the Revision 3, which was started out with video podcasting and ended up doing YouTube and a bunch of other things as well, um, as VidCon came out, and it's the ninth one coming up in 2018, we sponsored, I spoke at it, and then a couple of years ago, I started running the industry track. And so I knew these guys really well and built the industry track up into the premier online video conference for business. And um, then a couple of months ago, Hank Green started up, said, you know, I've been running this for the last eight years. I really want to focus on the other five businesses I have and the creator part of VidCon. And want to know if I want to come in and run the whole thing. And I, you know, it took me about ten seconds, and I said yes. Well, that's that's cool. And you know, you've got, you know, you've been involved really in the online media space for God since the beginning. You know, and and uh, you know, you've got a you know good roots, and even what happened in the po beginning in podcasting and and everything else too. So I'm excited to be able to have you on today because you know I think we really want to focus on you know, what's possible today with, with video. And, you know, like Rob and I, we've been doing this little thing here for, gosh, I don't even know how many years now, Rob, but a while. But I know that I've been doing video on my personal podcast since about episode like 650 or 660. And 
I just went over, uh, you know, 1,200 some episodes. So wow, congrats! Yeah, it's kind of crazy. And actually, 13 years in this space, it's it's really insane. But um, you know, well, Rob, you know, we were talking about your tech beforehand. The fact that you're running off a TriCaster when when I was at PC Magazine, and we started first started doing our first online video podcasting, or you know, our video podcasting. Um, which is probably 2003, 2004. We were the um, the first people to actually get a TriCaster. Um, I, re- I reviewed it. I think I was the first person to review it, and I realized that, oh, my gosh, we could do all the stuff we did at this online video network, uh, rev- Tech TV, that I uh, ran content at, which got shut down, unfortunately. And so we um, we pulled the TriCaster out and started doing video with it. It was amazing. And so it's so interesting that it still works, and it's much more advanced. This looks a lot better than it did back in 2003, 2004. But uh, it's great to see. You know, it's amazing. The uh, the team over there at New Tech, they, they've got this incredible upgrade policy. In years past, what I did, you know, I kind of started out with their low-end unit. And as I could afford it, I upgraded. And for about the past three or four years, I've been on a system called their 860, which is a beast. It's just it's an incredible box, and we take it to shows, and it just doesn't, travel so well but i've got a thing it's called a mini that we roll around yep. in, a, in a case and that works good but i get get a little bit worried because this thing's getting a little long in the tooth and it's just a computer with a lot of cards in it and it's still supported but it's out of warranty and if i need to fix it you know it's gonna be two three grand to get it in and get it fixed and they i heard somewhere that they were having a a new upgrade promotion where you could get five thousand dollars off a new unit which are cheaper than what I paid for this unit and still have the same functionality and keep the old unit. I was like, you, you got to be kidding me. So once you do the upgrade, you don't get new upgrades for licenses or anything like that. So it, it's locked in place and you take it to it dies. But um, the way the aftermarket is, if I have something die, I'll just go on eBay and see if I can buy something. So, you know, who knows? But uh yeah, so we're we're gonna move up to the tri TC what they call the TC one, and nice. uh, it's more of a not necessarily feature for me. It's not gonna be a feature upgrade, but it's gonna be a um, you know just a, house, a hardware obsolescence upgrade is really what it is. So for yeah, me, it's funny. I'm I'm sitting here in my home office and I look up. I've got an old TriCaster studio sitting up uh, oh, on one of the shelves up funny. there. You know, it's an old SD machine. Yeah. It's one of the machines we used a, a lot. Back in like 2007, 2008, but yeah, um, that good was, stuff. That was like a ten or twelve thousand dollar machine back then. So yeah, you know, yeah, very cool. Well, anyway, Rob, we've been ignoring you. Jim and I just decided no, you weren't fine. even part of the show today. <laughs> Geeking out on hardware. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> Geeking out on on video gear here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I wanted to just kind of um, add something to the the conversation here. I know as you think back to the the early days of podcasting. Um, the whole video side was actually fairly strong, you know, um, back in the early days, I know Jim, uh, you built the revision three network and uh, what was sold to the, the discovery channel folks and had a whole bunch of, um, online video podcasts that was really popular and Apple still, still supports uh, video podcasts and their, their, their iTunes software. Um, but, um, you know, where are we today, Jim? I mean, on the whole, uh, video podcasting thing is it something that um, um, that still has some legs, or do you think very soon Apple is just going to remove video podcasting from its its platform? Is there is there any thoughts that you have? Um, you know, and I have no inside knowledge on it at all. But um, you know, video podcasting, we got into it initially because 
the video files were too big to stream, right? So if you did a, yeah. um, I mean, you guys both remember 2003, 2004, 2005, bandwidth wasn't what it is to people's houses um, or wherever. And so mm-hmm. you wanted to watch a video show, you had to download it and watch it later. And so podcasting was awesome because, you know, you can download it and it just sits there and you come home or you get your phone or whatever and it's there and you watch it and it's awesome. Yeah. With streaming now and with the advances in streaming technology and the advances in bandwidth to people's homes and and phones and everything, you don't really need that sort of download watch later. You don't need it for audio either. Um, But um, there and there are so many different ways to do it. I mean, you're on you know YouTube and Facebook and you know you could be on Lively and Twitter and so many different sources live. Um, But there's still that something to be said for that on-demand download watch later DVR sort of approach. And, you know, if I were Apple, I would just think of it as just another way to get content into the Apple ecosystem. Uh, and Apple's got a lot of things that they're working on, but uh, to, to do more in video, and this is just one of them. So I don't think it's going to change, but you never know. You know, the, the challenge with doing video, and let's be frank, um, you know, I've got the resources of a hosting company behind me, and I can basically... Uh, you know, drop uh, a 1.6 or 1.7 gig file up on uh, on our CDN, and you know, for me, it's uh, as the owner of the company, I have some advantages that other podcasters don't because I, I don't have to really necessarily worry about the media file size. But you know, if if I was uh, a complete independent, and and I do pay for my bandwidth over there, so it's not like I get a free ride. I you know, I walk the walk and talk the talk. But if um you know, if if I was a an average podcaster and looking at pushing video online, you know, for a long time I I, I put everything up at six forty by three sixty just to keep the file size down, so you know, you know that the bandwidth bill wouldn't get hammered so bad. But um, you know, that's part of this issue. Is that's why YouTube and live stream and Vimeo and all those folks are so so popular. Is that people just put them up there and they don't have to really pay. well, not necessarily live stream. You have to pay, but you know, you can put some media up there at a relatively good price, and, and with YouTube, it's free, and and you don't have to worry. But uh, if you want to make it available as a download, that that file still has to sit on a CDN somewhere. So, you know, you're talking about you know a can, much much bigger file, obviously, if you want some quality. So that is the, probably the biggest limiting factor of a lot of folks doing video today. Yeah, it, it's funny. There's still huge files. Yeah, I did. And they still cost a lot to move around. They do, and you know, compared to well, that, Todd, I th- go ahead, Rob. Oh, yeah, I, I was just saying. I think um, there's an expectation now of higher quality too, and we're moving into an era um, where more and more people are expecting 4K video. And um, I mean, I mean, how do you, Jim? How do you think that 4K video is eventually going to going to really have an impact on uh, this whole kind of on-demand video space? Well, I think there are lots of changes that are happening in video. 4K is one of them that uh, I think more and more people will demand it over time. I mean, you look at what most people are running now. Your monitors aren't 4K yet. Uh, your phone certainly not that big of a difference between 4K and 1920. Um, yeah. There's, uh, but, but again, as the world moves forward, remember when we went from SD to HD, the TriCaster I was talking about that's mm-hmm. sitting on the shelves above me is an old SD one. I'm not going to use that again, even though it creates a perfectly good signal and it works fine. It's still an SD system. And so we went SD to HD. We're moving to 4K, but it'll be slower. I think the benefits of going from SD to HD 
are even though the the frame size is so much bigger when you move to 4K, not as big a deal. Um, what I do think will be interesting though is if you look at VR and AR, people start to think about well, I want to, you know, I don't just want to watch this mm-hmm. podcast. I want to be inside of it. Mm-hmm. I want to be you know sitting there with you guys. We'll see how that goes, but uh, that'll also require a step up in bandwidth and processing power and uh, technology too. It also mean cleaning the office, so I can I can't control the shot. You know, here you see this like this this window of an area that looks relatively clean, but you can't see the mess that's over here. So yeah, exactly. And I wouldn't. I'd have to keep my dog out of the shot because the dog's like sleeping right over oh, here. So he's cute. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I, so. Yeah, I think this whole concept of um, of 360 degree views, the viewer is in more control, right, of their their viewing experience. I mean, I mean, is that really going to come to on demand audio experiences? I mean, I guess that wouldn't be on demand. That would have to be live, wouldn't it? Or can it be on demand and still have that? Well, you can definitely. Rec- I mean, audio is one thing, right? I mean, an, an audio experience. Yeah. But if you look at a video experience, you can do it on demand. I mean, the the thing about VR right now is it's much more in the early days of video podcasting, where you po- you put your video out there so that it could be downloaded and watched later via iTunes and other things. Just because there wasn't enough bandwidth to stream, VR in many ways is that way. You want a true VR experience. There are a couple people that are doing a little bit of live stuff, um, including interestingly Halsey Minor, the guy who started CNET. Uh, as a company called Live Planet that does everything, soup to nuts. Yeah. But mm-hmm. most people are either doing really, really low bandwidth VR live, or it's only 180 degrees, not mm-hmm. 360 degrees. Um, but over time, that will change mm-hmm. too. You know, I, I saw, uh, I was at, uh, where was it? I think it was NAB, and someone had a 360 camera that they were kind of making as an accessory shop. But this was a radio guy, and he was not really having you know, focus cameras like this. So he was using that VR camera more to give the, whoever was tuning in on his, on his live stream to kind of be able to pan around and, and see the show. So that was kind of an interesting use of VR, but he was up against a wall. So as I was looking at his picture, as you know, I was like, you know, half of its wall, this is not very compelling, but if you were in the middle of a show floor or something like that, where your VR camera was up and you could see some encompassing surrounding area that, that was pretty cool and was was a different uh, type of view, but you know, there's there's about twenty five different ways to mix it up. And but the uh, you know those three hundred and sixty cameras are, are pretty awesome. I don't know if they make any. Do they have any now that even have an SDI output? Or I I, I haven't been keeping aware I of it. Don't know. Um, I know what we are seeing is in addition to three hundred and sixty one eighty. So you look at uh, so YouTube's gotten behind this one eighty VR format, which is. A lot easier to shoot because, again, it's just yeah. this far around, so you can actually shoot it. You can have somebody behind you looking at it. You know, it's hard. It's hard to do 360 because you, your producers and your cameramen they can't really be in the shot. That's right. So, um, it, we're we're still in the early days of this. Yeah, but it's gonna it's coming and it's gonna enable. Look, the experiences that you can do with VR, you don't just want to replicate an experience like this anyway. I mean, that's to me that's a bad thing. And the uh, I heard somebody using the acronym when it comes to what to do in VR. They, it's RIDE, R-I-D-E. So rare, impossible, dangerous, or expensive. <laughs> Those are the things that you want to do in VR. And you think about it. It's like, you know, I'm never going to go to Mars. Right. But a VR experience can take me there. It's impossible. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm never going to go 
um, swimming with the sharks mm-hmm. um, with uh, you know, a bunch of chum hanging off my belt. But you can do that in VR. That's dangerous, <laughs> et cetera. And that's actually pretty cool, compelling content without having to risk uh, life or limb. Exactly. Sign me <laughs> up. <laughs> you know, one thing that, uh, you know, just from my experience, um, and I was early doing video in, in from the, I guess from a podcasting person. Well, maybe not, but there wasn't a lot. You guys were doing it huge at Revision 3, and you still push, was pushing audio. So maybe I was late to the game. Let me just say it that way then. Yeah, you've been doing this for 13 years. You were early. Right. Well, the audio, yeah. But, you know, the the video part, when I started the video part, it was just an experiment. It was like, I, I'm just going to try this and see how, how it works. And, you know, you learn stuff little by little, and, you're looking at the audience numbers and you're thinking in those early days and I, I did several presentations on this. I'm like, man, this is really not worth doing the extra effort because there's just not a lot of people watching. But then over time and why in the heck they want to watch Rob and I or me here, you know, on video, it's it's kind of weird because we're doing, you know, a lot of just talk and there's not a lot of action going on. But I found I found the audience doing about a... 6535 and that's where it stayed for for years that's where it's been the audio audience is 65% and the video audience is at 35 and uh, actually kind of happy that it's at that split because you know the costs go up the more audience that actually watch but um for me it it really what the realization was is some people like to listen some people like to watch and some people like to read and uh you know that they're kind of in their own ways and it takes a lot to sit down and watch 90 minutes of video of two dudes talking about the podcasting space but it's easier to listen so when you guys were doing your stuff at revision three you you were really very short concise content there was no like one hour shows were there um yeah we did have look dignation uh which was one of our uh primary shows really was uh you know (laughs) it's it, it was two dudes sitting on a couch drinking beer and talking yeah. about the tech stories of the day. And what we did do, though, with Dignation is we produced it, right? So there's a lot of things that you can do with the TriCaster now live that we did We did some of that. We use the TriCaster a lot in our production. Um, but we would also put it in post where we would drop things in. we drop in images and other things to try and make it more of a, a visually produced experience sure. rather than just you know a, a two dudes. three guys talking and yeah. switching between the three of them. And so we tried to make it more, to feel more like a television experience and a television, but, you know, more produced experience. But most of the stuff we did, and, and over time it got shorter, because as we started going up on YouTube and spending more time with YouTube, that was back in the day when YouTube really wanted you two, three, four minutes max, um, rather than the longer stuff that YouTube is now actually supporting and, uh, and they're actually encouraging you to do now. Did you guys find then, do you remember what the split was on audience on how many people watched or listened, where, where it kind of fell out? We actually didn't push much audio out. Oh. Um, we pushed audio on Dignation because people wanted it, expected it, but it mm-hmm. was no more than 5 or 10%. We were pretty much, we were pretty consistently, we want to be video, not audio. Right. Whereas Leo, I think. Yeah, I mean. And, go ahead, Rob. Yeah, well, I was just, just going to comment that um, I think a lot of the reason for that, Jim, is that a lot of what you're doing with the video was very, very visual. So, I mean, it, there would be something lost in a lot of your revision three shows if, if it was just audio. 
um, where where I think where 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 we come from anyway is doing doing a show that's primarily audio and then maybe adding video to that. So it's it's a little bit of a different orientation. I think you came from it more from a or probably more from a television perspective than from a radio perspective. And I want you to talk a little about that. I mean, is that going on today as much as it was back when you were doing revision three? Um, and how has it changed? Is it, um, just, I mean, obviously it's moved over to, to YouTube, but, um, I want you to talk about that difference between doing it primarily for audio or doing it primarily for a, a visual experience. Yeah. And, and look, we've seen a lot of changes come out with, Facebook Live and YouTube Live and thing and Twitch, where people are doing this sort of live streaming like this, where you're not highly producing it. And we all came out of a television background. And so yeah. we really wanted to recreate the sort of wonder and joy of tech TV and ZDTV, you know, which Leo was a part of as well, in, mm-hmm. uh, in this new format, in this new way, and stream it directly so we wouldn't have all those costs. But the one interesting aspect of video versus audio, and one of the real reasons, I mean, and I can say this now, that it's, you know, Um, it's not an issue with any of our advertisers or anybody anymore. One of the real reasons why we did video is because the, uh, we sold every uh, impression as a video impression and video is a far more impactful advertising means, especially with the in-show sponsorships that we did versus audio. Mm -hmm. We could, uh, we could get a higher cost per thousand viewers. Uh, and we sold it as a more premium experience than audio only. Now, there are certainly things you can do in audio only that um, are as good or, or in some ways better than video. But it was a new medium. Everybody was interested in experimenting with video online. And so um, Brad Murphy, our head of sales, did an amazing job of selling people on the dream of video. And we did a great job on delivering on that dream. But we were very much a video sell. And so that's that's why we didn't focus on audio in many ways. We would have those discussions. Should we just put it out as an audio podcast? And Brad would always say no because the advertisers won't pay for it. It won't have the same impact. And we're selling video. And we're like, yep, revenue is important. Okay, we're doing video. You know, one thing that I've noticed is, you know, I I, I, I uh, attempted to do some vlogging, traditional vlogging, and uh, it, it's it's chal- it's tough. You know, it's <laughs> you know, it takes a lot of practice. And you look at guys like you know these YouTube stars like uh, Casey Neistat. And you look at uh, John Olson. Uh, you look at uh, some of these guys that are doing tutorials like uh, Peter McKinnon and some of those folks. And, you know, and these guys just rock it. I mean, they do incredible videos. Uh, I know they're highly edited. Uh, they got, you know, probably te- a team or a video, you know, someone that actually is doing the video cuts. I, although I think Casey does most of his editing, maybe not as much now. But, um, you know, you look at these guys and they make it look so easy. But, when for VidCon, when you guys are doing your conference, is this is this the goal? Is to teach and give this, you know, teach the skills and uh, to become the next uh, YouTube star? Is that the is that the primary objective? Yeah, I, well, it, it, like I said before, we have three tracks. So we have, you know, the community track is just about celebrating. So it's uh, Casey's fans and and everybody else comes together and celebrates that. But the creator track very much is around all the aspects of it. So. You know, typically the people who tend to create a track are they have ten to fifty thousand subscribers on YouTube or something similar on other social platforms, mm-hmm. and they want to learn from the experts. So they want to learn from the folks that have already been there. And and it's it, certainly we we have sessions on 
video editing and uh, and audio design and those sorts of production techniques. But we also do things on um, audience development. Like, how do you build an audience? How do you take advantage of the way that the algorithms work on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter and Snapchat and uh, and those different platforms? How do you? What's your what's your team look like? And so. You know, for somebody who's just starting out as they grow up, suddenly they might have a manager or an agent, or there are various different uh, influencer platforms that they may be approached by. So we try and get people to understand all that. And then we also do inspirational stuff there as well. And so that, uh, as we think about helping people to get the skills to become where they want to go, not everybody wants to be, you know, the top world-class star. Some people just want to celebrate the things that they love and build an audience around them of people that love the same thing. We want to support all of that, and we do. You know, and I, and I also think, you know, I try to, because I've been doing a lot of what, I watch more YouTube now than I used to, and I shouldn't admit that, because I'm a podcaster, I'm supposed to be watch, listening to more stuff, but, you know, there's certain personality traits, too, you know, that you're looking at a lot of these uh, content creators, you you never see them down, well, maybe once in a while, but they're they're not down, down, they're always up, they're excited, they're um, and you know, that's what you want. You don't want to watch someone be a drag, obviously, but also personality. I think personalities, you know, is the same type of thing in podcasting. If, if you're boring, uh, people are going to go away, but, uh, it, it's, you just kind of look at these, these folks as traits and you can, or, uh, traits, you can tell that they're all go-getters. They're, you know, they're hard charging. You know, these aren't guys that sleep in on Sunday mornings. These are the guys that get up and, and turn two. So, and gals as well. But, uh, I don't know, Rob. What do you do? You watch much YouTube at all, and watch much video at all? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think for me, uh, YouTube has really turned into like maybe a, a a skills training platform. So if there's a particular thing that I need to know how to do, I usually just go in there and search for it because there's usually somebody that's done some sort of a online tutorial or demo or or some sort of a training on how to do something, and I I I think it's really turn into be kind of like a like a Swiss army knife for solving life's problems. I mean, I, that's how I I look at YouTube and and Jim, why don't you tell us a little bit about um maybe um I, I you had alluded to how longer form content is coming into into YouTube. I know we all, you know, Todd and I came through this era with with YouTube like you were saying earlier that it being 3 to 5 minute content, but it sounds like what you're saying is that it's becoming much more than that. Well, what YouTube has done, and uh, you know, they control their algorithm, right? So they uh, they are favoring these days longer content, hmm. and they are favoring hmm. content that is consistent over time. So it used yeah. to be that you know you would build an audience with one, two, three minute videos, short, fast, get it up there. But what YouTube has realized uh, is that the most important thing for them is watch time. And watch session length. So they're rewarding videos that keep and engage people for longer amounts of time. So it's not just longer videos. You've got to have people watch them. For, you know, how long did somebody watch that long video? Um, so the people who do it, and then do it consistently. So getting a, doing three, four, five, six, seven videos a week or more in the 7 to 15 minute range that people watch all the way through that are consistent on topic. And uh, that's what YouTube is rewarding. And the reason why is because 
they, you know, they'd look at the numbers and say, well, people would spend a half hour with YouTube a day, but they're still spending seven or eight hours with television. And they're like, we want a bigger part of that attention because the more time you spend with YouTube, the more ads we can serve you. The more ads we serve you, the more revenue we get. So just like television tries to suck you in and keep you there with the promos and coming up next and, you know, after this break, YouTube wants that same sort of thing. And so they've been driving this um, watch time. Watch and watch session is, um, for example, you start watching. I go to YouTube and I start watching a video, and then I watch another video, and then I watch another video, and then I watch another video, and then I leave. <laughs> well, if you're the last video in that chain, that's bad because that means somebody watched that video and they're like, oh, I'm done with YouTube, I'm going to do something else. Oh, whereas if you're the first one and somebody has a long session, or you move somebody to the next video. So that, that session that your video is in is also a really, really important thing to YouTube because they want to keep you on platform as long as they can. So uh, algorithmic changes inside YouTube to favor YouTube's business model, which is an ad-supported business model mostly, although they've been moving more into things like YouTube Red uh, and YouTube TV that are more pay a, you know, pay a monthly fee. The more time you spend on platform, the more ads they can serve you, the more profitable it is, and they're going to reward the people who make them more money. Now that that it makes sense though, because just like this morning while I was getting show prep done, I had a series that I was behind on, and I just uh, you know I hit play and let them catch up. I was sitting here letting them play through, so uh, I didn't jump to a different channel. So I guess that guy did okay with me, but. YouTube wanted. Oh yeah! To- if you watched multiple ones of his video, and you were on for a long time, her video that that YouTube loves that. But even if you're bouncing from creator to creator and and channel to channel, but you do it for an hour, that's also a great thing for YouTube. Yeah, and I'm actually being nice now. I'm not skipping the ads because I know these creators over at YouTube are having a little bit of challenges with their monetization scheme and. Um, you know, quite frankly, a bunch of them got screwed and I am, you know, so in just like, I want my listeners to support my sponsors. So I'm, you know, paying back in kind, I'm letting that one minute video run. Now I may not be watching it, but at least it runs and they're going to get credit for it and, and, uh, and get payments. So, uh, I think if you have a creator over there, it's advisable not to skip the ads, even though it may annoy you. Yeah, the whole model over there is definitely uh, interesting, and they they control they're the gatekeepers. So you know, with the with live stream, uh, well, I guess Vimeo buying live stream. What what was your what's your what's your take on that move? Well, let's talk about you know Vimeo overall has been a company that has been trying to figure out where they fit in the online video ecosystem, right? So for a while, and it still is, it was a great place to put high-quality video that you mm-hmm. would share with people, you know, maybe a, a, a pilot of a TV show or a, a sizzle reel that you wanted to show somebody you want the best quality possible. You wanted to get it up there. You wanted to control the experience, maybe password protect it. Then they started saying, well, maybe we'll put in real shows and build a big, like, you know, like we'll be a Netflix-style thing. And, and now it's like, well, maybe we'll be a live video thing. I worry that Vimeo becomes the business model of the day and that they they don't know what they become. Mm. So we'll see. We're, you know, the, most folks, me included, because I'm not in the YouTube ecosphere. So, we, you know, the first two live or the two first two platforms I think about for putting videos up are definitely YouTube and 
and Vimeo, where where's the up and coming place? Where's the place you're telling people to go to get your content to make sure it's stashed over there as well? Is there other platforms that people need to be paying attention to? Well, yeah, depending on the type of stuff you're doing, you know, certainly YouTube's important. Vimeo is still a great place to put your content and, and keep it, and particularly if you're paying them and you've got a great experience, you can curate yourself there that you own in many ways. Right. But look, Facebook, uh, yeah. you know. Twitter wants to be something. They're also, you know, what do you want to do with video? I don't know. We'll find out. Um, but uh, Instagram is doing a great job with video, and we're seeing more and more video on Instagram. Um, certainly, Snapchat continues to drive great growth uh, and use use um, in the teen and early 20 space. Vertical video, yes, but um, it, it's an interesting spot to check out. Um I think Twitch is a huge, huge, um, there's a big opportunity there beyond gaming at Twitch. And I think that we're starting to see that play out. Uh, it's certainly still a huge gaming platform, but um, there's more and more going on there that's not gaming. And Amazon in general is trying to figure out how they sort of go after this space. And so there's Amazon Video Direct where a lot of the folks who are YouTube creators and others were putting their shows and getting some value out of it. There's Twitch. I'm not sure how that's going to play out internally at Amazon, but you can expect Amazon will continue to be an interesting player. Uh, and then, you know, there's there's some some up and comers. So musically and lively are certainly interesting. Um, there's we're starting to the, and then to look a little bit further in the future, we're starting to see people using cryptocurrency and coming up with their own tokens that they can use to enable a um, an ecosystem between viewers, fans, creators that doesn't involve any of these platforms at all and that doesn't involve advertising at all. And so one of the more popular platforms the last couple of years that has you know plateaued a little bit is YouNow. But YouNow is they're getting ready to put their token system together and um, they're called Props and it's going to be interesting to see that develop. Um, there's a couple of others that I know that are looking at how do we create a connection between audience and creators that doesn't include YouTube and other gatekeepers that are taking 30% or 40% or 50% of revenue and allow that connection to happen directly. And so I'm really interested to see how that develops. Um, I also think we're in a cryptocurrency bubble, so it's going to impede some of it, but lots of interesting stuff happening there. Yes. And I am quite happy with the bitcoins that uh, I got in the early days. So how much did you get uh, enough? <laughs> I I bought ten dollars in the early days. Stupid me! Oh my it's now God. worth four hundred dollars. Like, just... what was I thinking? Yeah, yeah. It's like all of us were the same because my daughter texted me the other day and she said, "Dad, have you heard about this Bitcoin thing?" And I'm like, "Yeah. Do you have some Bitcoins? Yeah." And she's like, "How many?" And I said, "Nuts for Dad to know." <laughs> and uh, but you <laughs> know, you. No. I've yeah. actually sold a couple because I just don't know if this is going to last. If this, you know, this crazy, you know, five six thousand dollar mark is going to is going to stay. I think that's well. Look, I, I and don't take investing advice from me, but I think it's smart that if you get an asset like that and it goes up pretty dramatically, to sell some of it and yeah. you know hold on to some of it, yeah. but take some of your winnings off the table. Yes, you know it's it's <laughs> you know it's like Vegas, right? You got to run on the crap table. Take some winnings off the table. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, cash it out and pay for your hotel room. Uh, actually, you need a new kitchen and a couple of bathrooms. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my uh, my Bitcoin's going to buy me a nice dinner at a good restaurant. But that's okay. Yeah, it is. 
one thing so, that... hey, Todd, Go ahead, so we've alluded to um, um, a challenge that exists on on YouTube around monetization. Why don't we talk about that? What what's going on at YouTube? I've heard uh, lots of content creators say, <clears throat> excuse me, that they've had a problem with uh, declining revenues. Jim, can you talk about that? What is happening over there that's causing it? Is it just the 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 payouts are are dropping from from YouTube, or is it uh, something else going on? Well, there a couple different things have been going on over the last six or nine months. I think we've been through like three phases of the, uh, the sky is falling on revenue at YouTube. What are we going to do? Um, and not to make light of the problem because it is still a big problem. But, you know, we had an issue last summer um, or maybe earlier than that where um, a lot of uh, the – I forget the organization, but they went out and were saying, oh, look at this. This ad is running in front of this awful content. So whether it was neo-Nazi content or, or racist content or whatever – and they would, you know, pick one little tiny ad at one time and show it front, running in front of this thing. And so YouTube, as a lot of, and that got a number of large advertisers to pull off of YouTube, because YouTube could not guarantee that 100% of your ads would run uh, on, you know, on safe content. So we had a bunch of big advertisers pull out. YouTube started building more and more technology to be able to. Uh, determine what sorts of content was offensive or had bad words or was this or that. Um, so as they rolled this stuff out, the pendulum swung the other way a little bit. Now, most of these advertisers have come back, but um, it's content that could potentially be considered maybe offensive to one person out there somewhere in the world now wasn't getting any advertising. So we started to see more and more videos being turned off for monetization for reasons that were that made no sense at all. So it might be uh, somebody at LGBT um, talking just personally about their experiences and 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 helping other people and and you know and, and very popular, but those were turned off. A lot of those were turned off for monetization, which which caused a big up uh, you know upheaval and a hue and cry on the other side. So if you're an advertiser, you don't want your content to show up next to. Things that are bad for your brand. I mean, this is going on for a long time. We used to do a lot of stuff around this at Revision 3. You don't want it next to your competitors. You want it next to something that's going to, you know, that, that will create the impression when somebody looks at your brand and looks at that content that you support that content. Um, so that sort of, we're moving beyond that, but that's been a big part of some of the monetization issues. And there are some people that are doing things that are frankly offensive that maybe advertising shouldn't be next to it. And so that I support. Um, but as with YouTube, when you have technological solutions and you have, what, how many hours of video get uploaded every minute? Is it like, or every second? Is it like 24, 36? I don't know. But when you have that much video entering your system every second, you can't look at everything. So you have to have algorithmic ways to determine it. And YouTube continues to make their algorithms better and better, but they're not perfect. And, you know, there was discussion that, you know, Rob, I was watching the, you know, the phalanx that happened. And of course I was, you know, being a little bit tongue in cheek because I was like, control your content, control your brand, have a dot com, you know, all that stuff I've been saying for the last, you know, feels like 20 years. You know, I'm kind of like, okay, you're at the mercy of a platform that uh, they can do whatever they want. But, you know, if you want to have this big exposure, that's where you got to be. And folks were talking about 80% cut in revenue. You know, huge, huge, huge impact. So, um, and some of the instigators that set some of this off, 
uh, were hurt even hurt even more. Uh, you need, you know, there was even, you know, some people lost some deals or some stuff they said as they probably rightly should have. But, um, I think that's where the power of podcasting still is good. Now, you know, podcasting in itself then has got its own challenges in monetization across the, gr- the greater group. You know, even my little YouTube video that we'll put up here that won't get a lot of views because, you know, most of this content is consumed, uh, via download. Um, you know, it, it's going to make a couple of bucks on uh, on YouTube, whereas if I don't put any ads in this podcast, zero bucks, right? So, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, you know that does YouTube does have that going for, to, with them for to a certain extent. But I like the cryptocurrency thing. I think that's cool. And but you know, getting an audience to support a show by making donations that's that's a tough road to hoe. You know, people just are not used to to paying they really aren't i i still have my doubts on that model well i think look it's it things are changing and look at patreon for example patreon has done a great job turning people into patrons and having people support shows and so for example you know we were talking about the early days of, of tech tv and and revision three and some of the stuff we did at pc mag uh, patrick norton who i worked with for a long time at all those places is now, um, you know, he's doing a, this tech thing, video, podcast, you know, show, whatever, and he's doing well on Patreon. And so he's got people, you know, paying, he's, you know, he's got advertising and other things right. associated with it as well. But Patreon is a part of the revenue mix. And so when you think about the revenue mix that you want to build, and that's another interesting topic, you cannot rely on advertising as your sole source of revenue. Right. Um, because interruption advertising is clearly on decline. I mean, you talk to, teens and millennials and people in their 20s and like they don't want to be interrupted by ads heck i reviewed the first tivo back in 2000 2001 when it came out maybe it was 99 and the best thing about it was that you could skip ads it had 30 second skip on it well uh, replay tv but tivo had it as well um it's just hidden still hidden but you can do it uh and that was all about getting rid of the interruptions and so that mix needs to be needs to be a mix of advertising um, your biggest fans supporting you uh, in some way, uh, merchandise, um, um, you know, in-show sponsorships, um, product placements. There are a range of different things you can do. Um, but you know, I, I, I got to ask you, where's your where's your merchandise line? You sell a lot of T-shirts? Uh, no, we don't sell any T-shirts. <laughs> nope. And you know, and, and to be honest with you, you know, I was looking at the mailbox yesterday, and in the envelope came my you know, my sponsorship check and you know, it's, it's from the sponsor and you're thinking, nice, you know, you're like, woohoo, you know, they can, you can pay rent for another week. And, uh, but it's, uh, you're right. You know, you always wonder when's the party going to be over? When's the sponsor going to call and say, okay, we are, we're changing. We're going to take a new direction. We're going to do something different and you're not part of that equation. Well, you know, the light bill still has to get paid. And if this doesn't get delivered next month, it can be a challenge, you know, and I, and I've attempted in, in, in probably half-hearted attempted, at least on my tech show to try to get some ongoing support. And I think now I've got enough support to pay part of the blogger bill and part of the, I have a, a executive producer who takes care of a lot of stuff for me now and I be able to pay for him. So, but it's still not paying me, but you know, it's, it is an interesting, uh, if you look at the guys like Adam Curry and John C. DeVork who are now doing no agenda, it's a hundred percent 
user supported show and they you know they they spend a lot of time asking in every show to you know send them a, send them a check um so it can almost be more than the actual advertising itself so uh you know to have a sustainable show or sustainable business I hate to say it, but the advertising piece is still very important today. I, I wish it could all be user supported because I've always thought, man, if every one of my listeners would just give me two bucks, <laughs> two bucks, <laughs> two bucks a month for every listener of the show, I'd be like, oh, oh, man, we could go five days a week. It's just, you know, but that's not reality. <laughs> yeah. And look, so yeah. you have the opportunity to do a mix and whatever the right mix is and the sponsorships are great because you have a community built around what you're doing and they trust you guys. And when you bring a sponsor and you're obviously clearly saying it's a sponsor, but it, it, it's, it, people will listen and watch and, and pay attention to their favorite hosts, creators, whatever, when they bring a sponsorship into the community and the sponsors themselves, the smart ones, and it sounds like yours are, Know that it's not just coming in and you know scatter shot with you know your shotgun and spraying your message around and then leaving, but if you're supporting something over the long term, then in many ways that sponsor is a patron as well. True, and they are allowing the community to do something that they wouldn't otherwise do, which is to enjoy this wonderful program, and being associated with that uh, and and getting that message out. Like you said, where you you sat and watched the ads built into the videos on YouTube your audience is going to be more inclined to listen to a sponsor message and probably buy things from that sponsor. And that's why they do it. Yeah. Um, and that's the beauty of this medium. It is that uh, there's such a direct connection between you and your audience that when you bring sponsors into that trusted, trusted zone, uh, they get legitimacy conferred on them that they wouldn't get by just running a pre-roll or just putting a, you know, wrapping a bus with a message. And that's very powerful. And that's, you know, that's to me. Those are the sorts of things that are going to continue when you think about, you know, advertising as a whole. It's the interruption advertising where you're like, "Oh, make that banner go away!" Or mm-hmm. I don't want to sit through that three-minute pre-roll to watch what I want to do. Or, you know, those are those are I think becoming more or more devalued, less valuable. I think too. And Rob, I don't know if you're seeing this, but you know, the the pitch I'm doing a lot now is that with these sponsors it's it's more than a sponsor spot it's it's a it's a relationship and and if you're just planning to come in and do an ad buy for 30 days and you you know you're doing a test to see if this is going to work you're really not focusing on the big picture of what's possible here with a relationship a true relationship with a creator to be able to integrate the message that you're trying to get across into the audience mm-hmm. not in this the two minute with a uh, uh, a kicker to go to some website. You know, if we could get the advertisers to understand that uh, the relationship, if they would have the same relationship with us, now that's the way I feel with GoDaddy. I've had GoDaddy from the beginning. I have a relationship with them. They treat me in this type of relationship the same way. It's like we're, you know, I have a family that's an audience and GoDaddy respects my audience and they let me do what I want to do and, um, we still have to make our numbers. Don't get me wrong, but they also don't dictate how I put the message out. They leave that up to me to integrate it into the show. If we could just get advertised to understand that they need to have a relationship with the creators versus just okay, we're going to write you. You know, this is what you're going to deliver, and this is the call to action. Um, if we could get more of them to understand that this is more than a 30 day investment, 
Um, you know, I think we all would win, but, uh, man, it's hard to break that mold. It's really hard to get them to trust. That's what a part of it is, is to trust to put the message of the, of their products or service forward in a way that isn't going to be disruptive. Well, and it's not just trust. It's giving up the ability to craft the message completely. And look, GoDaddy was a huge supporter of Vision 3, too. Love GoDaddy. I'm still a big customer of theirs. And um, But they again, they, they came in a long period. And we had to meet our numbers, too. But GoDaddy gets that there are certain things in their message that they're important. But they realize that when you let your brand go and let creators take it and embrace it and bring it to the community and have it become a valued member of the community – it's not your message anymore. You're a part of it, but you don't own it. And that's the hardest thing for brands to do is to let it go. Because you get these brand managers, they spent their whole career finally crafting and honing the message of their brand and what it is and its personality. And they do all these studies and they're like, wait a minute, I'm going to give my brand to somebody else and they're going to interpret it in their own way for their audience? No, I can't do that. But that, in fact is where the power of integrating into creator-driven media like this, that's where you get the best results. That's why GoDaddy is stuck with you. That's and right. And that's why you meet your numbers every month. That's right. And, you know, and, and believe me, I look at the numbers every week, and I'm thinking we're – and I tell the audience, I tell them we're a little behind this month. <laughs> yeah. If there's someone new, hey, uh, you know, check this out, or, you know, and, and usually the audience steps up. But, you know, it's – I usually don't have to make that call, but every once in a while I'll do that. But then again, it's it, yeah, it's it's a different relationship. They don't hassle me. I don't have a guy calling me every two weeks and say I need makeups or nothing like that. We just we have a you know an email at the end of the month. They're like, this is how we did. Uh, you know, this is something new we've got coming out. Check it out. You know, whatever it may be, and they just keep me informed and I keep pushing the message. But and luckily, they keep sending the checks. So, um, well, but think about, by the way, when you go to your audience and say, "No, oh, we need a couple more signups on GoDaddy to make our numbers." How is that any different from saying, "Hey, can you click on the Patreon link or whatever right. and uh, just you know, sign up, to support the show, yeah. even a quarter a month, you know, fifty yeah. cents a month?" It's, you know, if you have that kind of power, you, and and I'm not saying you want to do one over the other, but they're always that can be applied to keep the lights on and the TriCasters humming. That's right. You know, and Rob, <laughs> you know, Rob, I, and I had thought that we would see a shift, that I would move that Patreon base a little bit more. And, that may, and maybe I think, too, what happens is is I'm, I'm not desperate. So, in other words, the, the sponsor money's coming in. But let's, let's just say, for example, they call me and say, hey, that, that was the last month. <laughs> We're canceling. And, you know, I'm going to go to the audience like, help i'm gonna you know i'm gonna be like you know i'm gonna be in a panic and maybe that would force people off center where now they know i'm not in a panic um so they say well he's getting money from the sponsor anyway he doesn't need any more cash i I don't know you know put out a put out a maybe you go and i'm not saying patreon's the right one although i love those guys yeah they're certain other ways but Maybe just have a little link at the bottom or at the end or on your website where you don't even talk about it, but it's just there. Yeah. And you can just test and see what happens. Because, you know, again, it, it's all about the it's all about the the mix of potential revenue. True. True. And who knows? Maybe yeah. you should 
You know, maybe you should do a t-shirt or a pocket protector. Or I don't know what. Have a, you know? Have a, actually, I do have a cafe press store for the other show. But uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. Well, you know who's done a great job at this is um, Darren over at Hack 5. And, you know, they, uh, they've got this whole Hack 5 store mm-hmm. and their, their Wi-Fi pineapple was a huge seller. And, you know, and so he's, he's actually been able to build merchandise that comes out of the show and what they talk about. And it's wow. been great. It's been great for him. So there are things to do. And, um, the, uh, the guys that I work with at VidCon, uh, Hank and John Green, who started VidCon, but also have, uh, all this like SciShow and, um, and, and a bunch of other things there. And they have a whole merch line called DFTBA and, uh, have a, have a record line. That's why Hank's got it like five jobs. But they do a good job when stuff comes out of the show, taking that and putting it on a T-shirt. Like if a huge, cool quote comes out, put it mm-hmm. on a T-shirt and sell it. Smart. Um, it's, it is. I mean, this is. If you're not part of the culture, it's going to be weird. But the next few days are Pizza Mas. There is a, uh, a iconic image of John Green, uh, of uh, that's called uh, that's a pizza image, and it's uh, and they use this image in really bizarre ways. But people love the community loves the image, and every time they do it, they have limited edition stuff that just comes out for the five days of Pizza Mas that for some reason happens over Halloween, and I can't even tell you why. But it works and makes money. So those are the things you just got to think about. Hmm. So one thing we haven't talked about is, of course, Hank's running uh, PodCon. And this is kind of a new thing. I don't know. Have you had any dealings with this at all? Are you? uh, uh, Yeah, I I have. I mean, and and it's um, so like I said, Hank's got a lot of jobs, right? And um, um, PodCon is um, not part of um, what. Uh, it's not part of VidCon. It's part of one of you know Hank's other oh, okay. businesses. But the team that I the team that I work with uh, also works with PodCon, and um, so they're you know they're all very involved in it. And so that's I've become involved. And I mean, look, PodCon's super interesting. It's a it's happening in uh, in December in Seattle, and yeah, you can see it right there. And the great thing is we've got a bunch of um, we've got a bunch of podcasters that are coming in. We've got um, we've got uh, you know, it's really live shows, discussions about the medium, some of the stuff that we do at VidCon about online video, how to make better podcasts, how to, uh, we, we're bringing fans together with a number of their favorite podcasters. So you can go up there at podcon.com and take a look at all of the um, podcasters that are coming in. But it's really celebrating that art. And, um, you know, Hank's doing it. The McElroys and the folks from Welcome to Night Vale are all sort of the driving forces behind it. And they're also like, Monica was like, make sure you talk about our, Monica's our show producer, who also works for me. It's like, make sure you talk about our podcast scrambles. we got these short shows that are mixing up podcasters and doing one-off podcasts on topics of their choice. It's sort of a, you know, almost like a beat the clock thing that should be kind of fun. So, um, and Rob, thank you very much for supporting it and coming in and sponsoring. I know you'll be there. It should be, should be a fun show. It's the first one. And, yeah. and we think, I think podcasting, you know, remember the, the old days of the podcast new media expo? Yeah, and oh, yeah. it's not it's not the same, but it's a sort of a celebration of podcasting. And podcasting is, in many ways, uh, and you guys know this. It's a it's facing a new revival, and it's awesome to see. And so that's kind of where they're going with it. Rob, you uh, they they put out the schedule, and uh, I I kind of glanced over it uh, when they when they published it. What uh, what's your what's your thoughts so far on the uh, on the schedule? Well, I think it's good overall. I mean, I I. I gave some feedback um, to 
to you guys on it. And that's something that Todd and I commonly do with, you know, any kind of new podcasting conference that, 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 that launches. And, and so I think it, you know, a first year event is a first year event. I mean, you go into an event with a particular kind of, um, view of the, of the area or the industry that you're trying to cover with that event. And I thought it was really, really interesting that you guys pick Seattle as the first place to do it. Cause it's Seattle in, in my view is not really, um, the hub or a hub for podcasting. Um, I would like it to be cause I live up here, but, um, but it, it really hasn't had a history of being a strong market for podcasting, but what it is pretty strong at is, um, kind of, kind of the public radio side. So I did notice that the, the event is, um, has a, has a fairly a fairly strong connection with the public radio side, which is a little bit in contrast to you look at some of the other uh, podcasting conferences, you know, like Podcast Movement or whatever, uh, which uh, really has uh, kind of expanded across multiple segments of the podcast community. Um, but I do think that the the public radio side is a terrific area to maybe to start out in and to explore. And kind of bring those fans out because there are very passionate fans that are associated or listening to public radio programs. And Seattle is a very strong public radio market. So I thought it was interesting, you know, my conversations with Hank about the focus of the show and the team there. And I think it's terrific and it's great. And we're, we're there to support it. Um, but I do have a, you know, a hope that the event can maybe expand beyond uh, a little bit of a focus on, you know, public radio type content. Um, but this mix that you, you know, that the event has between, um, fans and shows and maybe a conference about how how to do this medium is an interesting direction that I see the overall industry going on. Um, yeah, even though, um, uh, you look at an event like, uh, um, LA Podfest, which is, which started out as a fan festival, um, is kind of ceasing operations after this year. Um, so it's, it's interesting. I think that the, uh, I think it's a little bit of an interesting thing about the, the fan festival concept, um, and then combining it with a professional conference of sorts. Um, and I, th- I see that there's been some interest, even in the podcast movement about adding a, a, uh, fan festival as a, as a component of, of the event. And I know that those organizers have talked about that, but I don't know if it, I know, is it, is the model that you guys are shooting for with PodCon, you think similar to what you've done with VidCon? It sounds like it is, but. Yeah, look, we're really, really good at building these three different tracks of events and doing them together, but appealing to these three different constituencies. So the, the, um, the businesses behind it, the, people who want to create content in this medium and learn about it and how to build their businesses and their audiences and the, the way that they work with mm-hmm. others. And then the fans of those uh, things. And so we, um, you know, when we look at a new area, we look at it and say, hmm, which of those three things are going to be most important first? Uh, or should we do all three? And so that's where mm-hmm. you see, you know, PodCon in many ways, when we look at it, we think we could, we want to do all three. What, how do we do each of those individual ones? And then, you know, we also think, how do we, how do we how do we mix and match? So, for example, in VidCon in Europe, we did um, Amsterdam this year, and and it was all three tracks. So we did 
uh, creator and community and industry, we realized that um, for a bunch of different reasons, um, you know, Europe's a very, it's, it's a fractured market. There are different countries and different languages and different fans and different creators that, that the creator and the industry side were actually where the opportunity for us was. So when we do VidCon in Amsterdam in March of 2018, it's, it's going to be for creators and it's going to be for the industry. And so there's going to be, there, there won't be a fan community component. Now, that doesn't mean we won't do that in subsequent years because we still think there's an opportunity there. But that's where we think the opportunity is now. And PodCon, as it develops out, after your first one, you kind of assess. You're like, well, what worked? What didn't work? What do we do mm-hmm. better next time? What do we do less of yeah. next time? I think you'll see that develop too. And I know your feedback has been very, very appreciated. And, um, and keep it coming because that's the only way we're going to get better too. You know, the uh, I was trying to figure out my flight schedule because we're going to have a booth there as well and we're going to be you know at the event and uh it was uh i was reading through the schedule and, and to be honest with you i am not i'm the polar opposite of rob i i actually don't like public radio uh per se i, I get very little value uh from it because i think most of the folks that are doing uh public radio are obnoxious snobs but that's you know that's my that's my opinion. So uh, hate mail is coming. Um, <laughs> so for me, um, you know, I, I, they definitely are, you know, well into the podcasting space and doing great things. I, but I'm not a, a fan of public radio per se. Um, but uh, I don't know. I don't know why I feel that way about public radio. But anyway, just it is what it is. Um, so it, for me, I, I think it's more about who's going to be there. I'm, I'm more curious. The, the, the content is one thing, but, um, I want to be able to see, meet the people that are coming and find out what kind of, if we're going to have a good mix of creators, people thinking about doing podcasting, the fans, it'll be cool for the shows that have fans come out and meet them. Uh, so it'll be a nice mix. Maybe it'll give the content creators there some perspective on what fans are really passionate about too. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's, um, it's, look, it's, it's a, it's a great and vibrant medium and one that, um, we know has a huge, uh, and great potential. And we think having an event like this where we can celebrate all aspects of it makes sense. And so I think that's what you'll see in Seattle. And, uh, um, you know, when you're there, it's the, the 9th and 10th of December. Um, yep. and it'll be a lot of fun. So I encourage everyone to come, of course. So <laughs> and I'm glad both of you guys are going to be there. So, and go ahead, given that it's uh, yeah, given that it's going to be in, in Seattle, it's it's really you know because that's where I'm at. Um, it's going to be really fascinating to me to see uh, whether or not the event uh, pulls on a, a regional, national, or primarily local level. Um, you know, uh, to see what kind of excitement that can be generated for, for podcasting in the Seattle market. So it, it is an interesting um, thing, and I've been holding you know. Uh, podcast meetups in Seattle for ten or twelve years now, um, doing trying to build community around podcasting in the Seattle market. So I'm I'm excited to see an event like this come to Seattle because it there really hasn't been uh, too many podcasting events come to Seattle short of you know like some live live podcasting um, on stage and things like that. There's been like uh, the the Comic Con Seattle event that's had live podcasting you know, like. Kevin Smith has come up and done live live stuff in the the Washington State Convention Center, and I think he did a 
did a couple of episodes of his uh, shows that he's done up there, and he's he's attracted you know a thousand people to to a live show that I've I've been to at that that event. But that was really the the last time that there was a a large podcasting related you know event in Seattle. So I'm excited about it. And and actually, the last event I was at in Seattle, Rob, that I actually attended was Gnome Dex. So that's really dating myself. My Gnome God. Dex, all right, Chris Perillo. <laughs> yeah, 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 Chris Chris Perillo. Yeah, I don't even. Uh, know he's what still I- he's still doing his doing his thing. He's still doing, you know, his uh, uh, video blogging stuff uh, that I, he was doing. I, I haven't checked you know, in on blogger. him in years. <laughs> I know. I should do yeah. that too, Chris. Yeah. We work together at Tech TV. Um, when he came up yeah. to, uh, we, we brought him over and he ran, uh, um, he ran a couple of our shows. But anyway, Chris is great. Um, and I remember doing a gnome Dex. I went in Iowa cause he's from Des Moines. Right. Right. And another one in, uh, Lake Tahoe. <laughs> I never went to the one in Seattle though. Yeah, I did two in Seattle. I, I do have a question on, um, I had an interesting conversation with Leo at uh, podcast movement. We were, it was, you know, you know, Leo was, uh, being very sociable. Um, hanging out and I got to talk to him for maybe about 30 minutes at some, some event. And I'm getting the feeling that, um, Leo is, has a plan on at what date he wants to retire. And, uh, maybe Lisa isn't going to let that happen. I don't know, <laughs> but I get the feeling from him that, uh, he has a date and I'm, I'm not going to share that. That's between him and his audience, but what do you think then, you know, Leo is such a huge, you know, he's the centerpiece around Twit. Do you think Leo can find a successor for Twit? Can, can, or when Leo retires, will Twit go away? How, how does a company that's so branded around an individual survive a transition like that? Or will he not be able to retire? It's a really good question. And, and I, um, you know, I've worked with Leo off and on since, God, like 1994. So uh, he is a unique talent. He's amazing. Uh, and he's built an amazingly an amazingly interesting company around what he's done. Um, I think it's hard. It's hard to transition something that is so personality-driven around an individual to another individual. And we've seen very few examples where it's worked. Um, one example and, and uh, is we... Um, when I was at Discovery, uh, and before that Revision 3, we worked with SourceFed and Phil DeFranco. And Phil actually did a great job with SourceFed, um, launching SourceFed with uh, three key talent, bringing more talent in, uh, having some of the talent phase out and other people come in. Very Saturday Night Live-esque, right? Where it's, a, it's more of an ensemble and people come in and go out. Um, there have been less successful examples in media where somebody's come in to replace an iconic host and it's done about, look at The Daily Show. I mean, uh, Trevor Noah's done a good job, but it's not what it was when Jonathan Stewart was there. And so um, I, think, I think it's going to be tough. Um, but, um, you know, there's, Leo knows this medium better than anybody else, and he's so smart and so good at what he does that if anybody can do it, Leo can. Um, and I have, I have faith in him being able to do it, but I think it's going to be tough. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, I don't know, I, I, I hope it works for Leo and, and, and Lisa. But we'll see where it goes. You know, it, it kind of reminds me of uh, 
when I was listening to talk radio, I was listening to uh, this late time, late night show with the guy by the name Art Bell that did Coast to Coast AM. This guy was a master of oh yeah, Art bringing, Bell definitely um, bringing weirdos in, and it was you know it was the best three four hours of radio, and I would like I would like lose sleep because of that show. I mean, thank God now it's a podcast; I can actually get it as a listen on my time, but. Um, when Art retired, uh, you know, it's like the community that was part of that group mourned his retirement. And then this new guy stepped in. His name is uh, George Norrie. And George Norrie. is still not Art. And, you know, I have a hard time even today getting as much engagement with that show as I had with, with Art. Art just had was, you know, you everyone's unique, obviously, and you, it's near impossible to find a, a clone. But. Yeah, I think Leo's going to have to find some sort of clone. He's going to have to find some up-and-coming star that he can put in there and then give they give that individual some room to breathe. Um, I, I, it's it's going to be interesting to watch. Um, you know, I think originally maybe that's what Tom Merritt was supposed to be. You know, but, uh, you know, that didn't yeah. work out. Yeah. Tom's doing his own thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think you know, uh, Leo's Tom, known for many years that that if he wanted to either sell his company or or move on, um, that that he had that challenge in front of him, and I think it was something that he's been thinking about a lot. And I just like what we've said here; it's there is no easy answer, I think, to this to this dilemma. Um, but uh, I think I think one way or another, he's going to figure it out. I mean, I have a lot of a lot of faith in, in Leo that he'll, he'll figure out some way to transition that company to keep it, keep it going. Um, it's just too, too good of a platform. And I know he really wants to go deeper into video is what he wants to do is the impressions. So, um, and, and maybe get more connection with TV or that kind of thing. I'm not, I'm not really exactly sure what their path is. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see Leo navigate these waters if he does plan on retiring at some point, which makes sense. We all have to yeah. retire eventually. <laughs> yeah, Leo is such a great talent across radio, across video, across television and everything. And I know whatever he sets his mind to do, he'll do a great job at it. But, you know, sooner or later, it's like, well, do I want to keep doing this for, mm-hmm. you know, every day, forever? We'll see. It's it's a grind, yeah, yeah. you know. It's 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 hard work. A lot of people, you know. And he, you look at his schedule. He he takes two days a week off, but he's on he's on camera five days a week. So, um, you know, that's that's a lot of work. But uh, yeah, you got to feed the content monster. That's a fact. And you know, one thing I I do have to say about what they're doing over there is, you know, I asked him. I said, did "You buy your new building, or did you lease?" Because that that's kind of usually a telltale sign of you know where they're going to go. And they are on a lease there, but a long-term lease, but they didn't buy the building. I thought, oh, so, you know, that to me was kind of a, because if you, if you have a, a plan for 20 years, you buy the building. If you don't, you lease. So, um, I think they have a 10 year lease, I think. So, um, don't quote me on that, but anyway, they, that, that, that previous studio they had was incredible. Oh my God. But they're pretty happy in the new one. So, um, but I can't well, Tim, I think that the obvious question here also kind of, kind of, I mean, we can wrap this topic up, but, um, is it, I mean, you sold the, the revision three company to discovery channel. Do you, do you think Leo has an opportunity to do a similar kind of a deal with a, a major network? I, th- you know, if he does, um, and after 
we sold Revision 3 to Discovery, I went out and we ended up buying Phil DeFranco's company, uh, which included Phil and SourceFed and other things. And, you know, part of that deal was an extended agreement for Phil to, you know, stay around for an extended period of time and continue to work and, and build the company. If I were buying Twit and, and Leo's company, as, you know, if I were, like, I'm going to put myself in the shoes of a media company going in to buy Twit, I'd want to say, well, Leo, you got to be around for five or eight years. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to buy it and let you go. That's right. Um, but such a ma- yeah. value of the company is, I mean, there's a lot of valuable things there at the company, but a good portion of that value accretes to Leo being, you know, on camera five days a week. And um, I, w- I, I, don't, I don't see a path where a company would want to buy that, buy his company without that kind of guarantee. Yeah, Leo is is the face of Twit. So, and I think another thing I found interesting was that I got the impression that they're going to be doing more back in do stuff like CES and NEB. They're going to be back at those shows with a presence again. Um, that maybe stepping back from that was uh, um, not as good of a decision. But you know, here's what I found about in you know, Jim, you you've done tons and tons of trade shows and you interview people and you're really the master of this. And for me, having done CES and do NAB, it is, it is this, it is this media monster that feeds the show or feeds my business for a whole year. I go there and make all these connections and make these interviews and, and, you know, and it costs me a lot of money to do that event. You know, it like minimum with even with the small crew I take and getting everything up, it's, it's twenty five, thirty thousand, and I go on a shoestring budget. We don't stay in the MGM and you know the whole nine yards. So, um, but for me, that content from that show and the connections I make there feed the whole podcast for the rest of the year. So, um, for me, it's a big investment. In obviously, you doing all these events and having done so many interviews it's worked out well for you with lots of connections and you know, everyone in the space. Yeah, I think, look, I, I think, um, for a long time, people thought, Oh, the internet comes out. This face to face conferences are going to go away. People aren't going to go to events anymore. In fact, it's made them more important because when you're sitting at home or you're doing this and you're spending all your time staring at a screen, people need to connect with other people. They need to get out and find out what's going on and events that do it well bring the whole ecosystem together. And so CES brings all those people together and it's such become such a be- huge thing now. NAB does the same thing on uh, at a smaller scale. And that's you know what we aspire to at VidCon as well is to bring everybody in the online video ecosystem together whether it's creators or or the folks building businesses or the fans and there's an energy there and there's a sense of I have a better idea of where the world is going and who the key people are in the community that I build. So, yeah, I think being part of these events is very important. I think you're smart to do it. And, um, you know, I think there was a hole at CES with, with, without Leo there. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, it, I'm always jealous of their big booth. But, you know, when Leo does it, he rocks it out and knocks it out of the park, and as yep. he should. This year, you know, something I've totally I'm, – I'm, I've really stepped up the crap table, and I hope I don't throw a seven – is this year my team is going to stay at Rika Park. We're not leaving. We're going to focus 100% on startups, home automation. Everything in Rika Park is going to be what we cover this year. And we're going to, 
if someone wants to come see us from uh, South Upper, they can come to Rika Park and see us. We're not going to have a a presence where we normally have a North Hall in the lobby and have the you know the studio there, um, because what we found, and this is kind of you know I guess it's tied to the video thing a little bit, is the bigger the company and that the more handlers they have and harder the access is and I want to get back down and find that 10 by 10 booth that's the next 100 by 100 five years from now that uh, is coming to market with cool stuff. So I'm I'm just excited this year for the coverage we're going to do there where we're completely focused on startups and home automation and everything kind of Eureka Park centurous. Yeah, I think that actually makes a lot of sense. I mean, look, the uh, um, I always found the excitement at CES. Sure, it's fun to go look at the big new monitors and the you yeah. know, the new things that are being rolled out by the big companies, but it's the smaller companies that are doing the innovative stuff all over CES, but, you know, they did a good job bringing a lot of them into Eureka Park, and I'm psyched to see what you guys end up with. But, yeah, the people are playing, they're energetic, they're passionate, they're visionaries, they want to talk about it. They're going to come across a lot better to your audience than, you know, some corporate drone yeah. coming in and saying, well, we believe that we've maximized our revenue potential by uh, expanding distribution and building a new plant in uh, Taiwan. You know, yeah. So, yeah, you're going to make better content too, probably. Yeah, and and those guys are there. They're uh, they've tapped their credit cards out to be there. Number one, because not all of them have venture, and uh, they are there to 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 make it happen. So I'm I'm excited to uh, to do it this year. But you know, there's there's video for all formats. You know, it just you know here I am talking tech stuff, but uh, you know, you look at the the variety of content that's out there video wise. I think anyone that's doing a podcast today can put in a mix of video to, if nothing else, if it's not part of your regular show, to make a supplementary content that kind of, again, feeds the beast. You feed them back to the podcast. That's what, that's what I do. The What do I do on every every interview? You go to geeknewcentral.com and subscribe to the podcast, right? right? So, you know, that's what it ultimately is, is to feed the, feed the animal. But, Rob, any... Yeah, it makes sense. Any thoughts? Yeah, I wanted to change the topic a little bit. Sure. Um, I was just curious what both of you guys think of the evolution of this uh, new product from uh, you know from Amazon. It's the Echo Show, um, where they're um, bringing together the the kind of capability of this uh, smart speaker technology with a video display screen. Have one sit here. I just wonder if we're seeing a a glimpse of um somewhat a tv of the future here i don't uh, know having one on the desk right here to the right of me i don't watch any video on it i watch weather <laughs> yeah okay. i yeah i think amazon love them they're throwing a lot of stuff against the uh, wall i'm not sure this is the one that's gonna do it um but they'll okay. keep trying um i don't know i i I've been trying to get Alexa working around my house and it's just, it, it reminds me of the early days of voice recognition when, uh, it just, it just doesn't work. I don't, maybe it's something with my voice. I, I, I was always able to break voice recognition when I was testing products because it never really did well with my voice. So, uh, yeah, uh, maybe that's why I'm not a big fan of some of the Alexa stuff that's going on. But, um, what do you think, Rob? Are you using it? Well, no, I don't actually use it. I'm just curious. I mean, it's, it was fascinating that they came out with that, um, and I I can't help but think 
that uh, if you were to take that and put that into a larger screen television, that somehow we may have a, a better kind of voice activated voice system uh, that's associated with our TVs to help us, um, you know, more easily. I know that voice activation is nothing new in the, the, the TV, uh, base, you know, the, the, um, the Xfinity folks are building it into their, their remote controls. The Xbox has had it in there. I just wonder if there's something more to this kind of, um, uh, personal agent technology that that's going to come to, to video to help, you know, improve that navigation and, and discovery, um, in, in the video world. And I think there will, I think voice absolutely is the, you know, one of the main interfaces of the future. Um, but it's, you know, it's, we're early on. Um, yeah. you know, I tried to get the Alexa working with my Sonos speakers cause I've got a ton of Sonos speakers around the house and, um, I'm, I'm all in on Sonos. Me and, too. and when I realized how stilted what I had to say would be to get it to actually work, it's like, I just want to say, Hey Alexa, can you play me some grateful dad on my Sonos? You know, but it, instead it had to be Alexa play, Europe 72 from the Grateful Dead on Sonos or, you know, the yeah. getting Sirius XM to work. It's yeah. just, so we still aren't at that conversational level where, you know, if I say something to you or say something to somebody else, they know it, we're getting there. And, um, certainly we've got three big companies that are trying to make it work and a bunch of other smaller companies. So, you know, yes, Microsoft, Amazon, Google are all focused on this, but you know, there's, there's, there's some others out there and I, I've been working with a, a venture fund here in the Bay Area for the last few years. We invest in a company called Mycroft, and, and Mycroft, I think it's Mycroft.ai, is doing voice interfaces for everybody else. So it's open source stuff. If you don't want to use one of these people, you can go out and use them and bring it in. So some major car manufacturers that um, realize that if they give the car over to Microsoft or uh, Amazon or Google, they've lost a big portion of their connection to their audience they're using stuff like this so that they can have voice-activated interfaces that they control and own. So, yeah, this is going to be huge, uh, and it's going to be how we interact with many things. But um, I'm not sure that any of the products on the market are the ones that are going to end up really being the winner the way they are today. Well, believe it or not, we're already at 90 minutes. I don't want to go over our time here too much uh, to respect your time there, Jim. But I want to make sure everyone knows that uh, if you've been – at all today uh intrigued about vidcon i want you to go to vidcon.com their next conference is june 20 through 23rd in anaheim actually uh, wait our next oh, conference is in europe oh. on the 20 uh 22nd 23rd 24th of march and then we're going to anaheim oh, so come okay. to europe first so come to if, right. if you're in europe then there's an event for you and if you're in the u.s uh, vidcon in, in anaheim anaheim's always fun in the summertime yeah, it's the happiest place on earth. That's a fact. And uh, <laughs> we had a good time with Podcast Movement at, at, in Anaheim. So, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to seriously think about coming to your event. I've, uh, I'm, I'm dabbling so in, you know, in this whole uh, vlog thing. So uh, if nothing else, just go out and see what other people do, and I think we'll be, uh, would be cool. But, well, you'll learn a lot, too. I mean, we craft a lot of the content so that um, – you can go back to the office on Monday and put it all in place immediately. And so that's been really important to me. And so there's a lot of value that comes out of it. 
So just to let everybody know, uh, we're going to be here on regular schedule next week. Uh, the studio is going to be going through a little minor upgrade, but I'm not going to try to disrupt anything. But when you start moving cables, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, But uh, excited about what we're going to do here. But uh, Rob, any closing thoughts before we, uh, before we punch out? No, I just think it was great to have Jim here on the on the show. He's uh, he's been a pioneer and a leader in this space for the podcast, video podcasting, video world for many years, and it's it's just great to have you on the show, Jim. Thank you for coming well, on. Well, thank you guys for having me. It's been a blast. It's always fun to talk video and tech and geek out for a while on a Saturday morning. So thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you. And for everyone else that's been here, uh, Jim, what's the best way for them to reach out to you if you want if they want to ask a question or have a um, just Jim at VidCon.com. Well, that's as easy it gets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then uh, I'm Todd at Blueberry.com or at Geek News on Twitter. Rob? And I'm at uh, uh, Rob at Spreaker.com or Rob at RobGreenlee.com is the best way to get a hold of me. And then I'm, I'm, I'm obviously on, on Twitter as well at Rob Greenlee. So you can reach out there if you'd like to as well. And if any of you were at FinCon this past week, hope you stopped and saw Mackenzie. But uh, it was an interesting event. The, at least that's the word I got on the street. But uh, the next event that probably we're all looking forward to is PodCon in Seattle for podcasters. And if you're within striking distance, come on up and let's, uh, let's all hang out together. But again, thank you for joining the new media show. My name is Todd Cochran. We'll see you next time. Everyone take care. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Thanks. <laughs>